Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. Uh, and as always, a lot has happened since we last spoke. Um, <laughs> there, there's a lot to talk about uh, from the Tottenham side of things, which I'm sure we'll get into. But as ever, Jason, I'm going to start by asking you about Arsenal. Uh, I think when we last uh, did an episode, Arsenal were, were, were flying, were resurgent. It was all about the, the new Arsenal with Aaron Ramsdale making acrobatic saves and, and pushing you up the table. But since then, you've lost 4-0 to Liverpool, 3-2 to Man United, 2-1 to Everton. So I guess my question is, are we back to Arteta out? Well, it's always, it's always a telling sign before a podcast, whether I've got a cup of tea of some sort next to me. And I can tell you it's chamomile tea. And chamomile tea means I mean business and I need to relax so I don't go overboard. Um, I'm trying to think what the last result was we spoke about. I know that at the time of speaking, it was Arteta in. And I think there was a bit of mind the gapping or, or nearly a bit of mind the gapping. Um, Tottenham were in disarray without a manager or about to hire a new manager. Uh, Manchester United were on the verge of, uh, well, on the verge of everything. Uh, and there have been changes there, as we know. Um, and it was looking bright. I think I was talking about a vision um, that I was bought into, uh, that hunger, a desire, getting results, um, really feeling like we've got our Arsenal back. And, you know, thinking back to the good old, sadly, the good old days of consistent Wenger, what we dream and aspire to. Um, since we last spoke, you know, there were, there were, I don't think we spoke before or after the Watford game and the Newcastle results. Results, 1-0, 2-0, a bit drab in terms of performances. And then the Liverpool and United games. I mean, Liverpool, I can't, I can't remember it now, it was so bad. I kind of just sat there apathetic knowing you're going to Anfield, they're probably the best team in the league, we're going to lose. And I think what hurts the most, the thrashing um, and the performances, you know, you, you, let it, you let it stay at 2-0 and you're like, okay, fine. You can accept it at our stage, resetting expectations a bit. It's not about winning those big games. It's about trying to sneak a result here and there, not getting embarrassed. And, and our Teta teams didn't get embarrassed. This was the great thing. It was a change from all the old days where we, we were thrashed against the big teams, albeit that City game at the beginning of the season. And we kind of reverted to that. And it was, it was very disheartening to see the kind of same old mistake by a new young player in Tavares. And you're kind of thinking, well, you know, did we take it too far? Were we giving his good performances too much loyalty? At the end of the day, Tierney is probably our best player. Um, probably captain material and you're kind of playing with fire waiting for him to make a mistake uh Tavares to make a mistake to bring him back in and it's almost like what we used to do with keepers he kind of probably had in his mind oh I'm gonna I'm gonna play it like for example the Armunia days he was waiting 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 Wenger for that mistake so then he could throw in Fabianski when we could have avoided those mistakes and actually had someone that, that could probably goalkeep um and that's what I think we did with Tavares and obviously after that if you take him out, you have an issue because of confidence. It's directly correlated with his mistake. And then you break the guy's confidence momentum. So there have been a lot of challenges, I think, Arteta has had to face. Um, I didn't make the United game. I was at a Christmas party. 
Um, this year was a legal one. <laughs> uh, not there wasn't an illegal one last year. Um, I wasn't um, invited to one last year. Charming. Um, but uh, that was that was tough to look at. I watched some the, some of the extended highlights, and it was it was for me for me everyone was like, oh, they were there for the taking. It was the worst United team in years. But there was a Michael Carrick bounce or Oli out bounce. And they had had Ralph Rannick signed up and probably influencing um, based on the scenes of that, um, that United coach who looks like Phil Neville um, speaking <laughs> in the microphone, uh, in a little microphone, probably to him, um, speculation, of course. Um, so I wasn't too surprised. They have Cristiano Ronaldo. They have Sancho. They have Fernandez. They're a good side. They have one of the best squads and certainly best lineups in the league, and have spent a lot of money on it. So I was happy to see us go to Old Trafford and fight till the end. And although we made a silly mistake um, at the end with Odegaard giving away the penalty, I was happy to see that we fought for it. That, that for me, is okay. It's a, it can go a 50-50. Yes, there's the context, but okay. But you've got to put that aside. I think we've had a lovely run, a couple of tough teams we've faced in circumstances, but then you have Everton. And for me, watching that was appalling because there were so many things wrong with it. I don't necessarily... I think, first of all, Shaka, he should not be starting. He shouldn't be in the club. Full stop, he shouldn't be at the club. He shouldn't be starting until at least January based on injury. To come straight in, it, it's, it's, it's an insult to Maitland-Niles. It's an insult to Lakonga. It's an insult to El Nene who'd all been getting decent runs in and out of the team and would have been better. Um, Thomas Partey's been a disgrace as well. I'd argue they both shouldn't have been on the pitch at that time, based on form. Um, no problems with Tierney coming back in. I think the experience is fine. His, his assist showed it was right. Um, Aubameyang being dropped was the right move. Um, I don't think we had a choice on that. And I, I think Laka had to play because of Smith-Rowe playing out. But I think it's when you get into the tactics of the game and the performance where you don't look like scoring. And then, first of all, the first goal, um, another mix-up between Tavares and, Pep, um, and Party, And they're making big mistakes. They're making big mistakes, those two. Um, and, and that becomes, beyond a lack of focus, it becomes, it becomes a trend. It becomes form. And... And there needs to be consequences. You need to have pressure to realise, you know, I think Tavares realises it now, now, albeit he came on and, and basically gave, gave that. So it's not like dropping him uh, for Tierney did anything. Um, no one was tracking Richarlison on the way back. They should have had two more goals. I don't know why they were called offside. So really Everton won a 4-1. Um, my second massive um, problem with that game was the... Second goal, Shaka pulled out of a challenge that every defensive midfielder does in the world. It's bread and butter stuff, but he'd got a stupid, unnecessarily yellow early in the game. Should have come off, so that's the manager's fault as well. So someone would have brought that down. I know it sounds cynical to say that, especially Andre Gomez, who'd had a bad injury. You bring them down, you clip them down, you pull a shirt, or some, you know, Ben White could have done it straight after, and they both missed the challenge. Then you watch as Gray is tucking in. No one is pressing. No one is pressing. 
And the shot is amazing. There's nothing Ramsdale can do about it, but it shouldn't have got that far in the first place. Then you start looking at, okay, we need a saviour. You're bringing Eddie Nketiah on, whose contract is up in the summer, who's not signing a new contract, who's not playing well, who misses a sitter. Then you decide, oh, no, he's not that good. We need to actually bring back Aubameyang, who I've just isolated, my captain, the one we respect. And it's a lose-lose situation, really, with Arteta there, because if it goes well, great. But, but, but it didn't go well, and, and you had to call on him. And then he does that at the end. You know, again, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a lack of focus or a mistake. It's a trend and it's, a, it's form. And, it's, and with Aubameyang, it's becoming his style of play. He do, he, he, he's finished. He's finished as a professional footballer at the top level. We can all see it. And so I think it's the, you know, I was saying to my friend who I was watching with, I said, um, I said that there's going to be a bad result here. They're just, it's all geared up. They've lost their director of football. Every club needs a bounce back eventually, especially a club like Everton with the size of Everton, the players they've got. And, and it happened. But it was the way it happened that around the 70th minute, the game has stopped for an injury. Arteta calls them all in. And you can see from that moment on, they start pulling back. Why are you pulling back? You're a million times better than them. Go and score five. I don't understand. And, and I'm not even going to get started on the Ben Godfrey thing. He stamped on Tommy Yasu's face. It looks pretty obvious to me that he did it. Um, even Gary Neville and Carragher were saying it was, it was foul. The fact that there wasn't even a yellow or looked at sums it all up for me. But there's no excuses. Um, albeit he did that to Saka a few times as well. But we, we have a problem. We have a massive problem now going into this period because we have an amazing fixtures on paper and until after New Year, we need to win all of them. But we're not going to because Leeds away will be a a tricky one. West Ham at home will be a tricky one. Even Southampton at home now because we're not scoring goals. We are not free-flowing Arsenal. And this is now a problem where it's been extending. Even even at the beginning of the Arteta days, it was all based on defence, that FA Cup win. With Z Maitland-Niles uh, messing about at left back, you know, every it was nicking a goal on the counter with one tactic, you know, keeper to right back, right back switches over, Abamian cut in goal. It's all gone, and I've kind of got to the point where I buy into the project. I believe in all the young players there; it's great, but now I don't believe in the in the senior players. I, it's it's got to a stage, you know. We knew with Willian it was a mistake. We knew we had to part. Um, to, to move on Ozil and Socrates and yada, yada. But there's still so much dross at the club and they're coming back to haunt us. We're getting injuries again. Arteta's making bad in, in-game mistakes. We're dropping back into mid-table. Um, we, we've missed out the opportunity to, to take real advantage of the misery around us in United and Tottenham. And I, I, I'm not going to say Arteta out, even though I just said those words, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to believe in that and manifest it because he won't leave till the end of the season the earliest because they believe in the vision and, the, and they've got a project there but you know he'll have one year on his contract left and you're thinking how long can the guy have to take us back to that level and and is getting into conference league good enough is getting into Europa good enough um maybe we just have to accept it but um for me all the results aside, it's about the performances. Any club 
mid-table small club, go on runs, they score some great goals, flash in the pan stuff. But it's the top clubs that are consistent week in, week out, rolling teams over. And, and we're not doing it. And, um, and I, I'm kind of fed up a little bit. And I'm excited. But also, I'm in that death spiral a bit with Arsenal, where, like Emery, you almost turned up thinking, this is probably going to be a loss. And is it for a better cause? Is the loss contributing to the manager losing his job for long-term gain? And I hate to say that, but I, I, I don't know how bad it has to get. But I want to see progress and I'm not seeing it. And I, I can't believe I'm saying that because I was in such a positive place with it all. Um, I think January we need a striker. I think we probably need to sell a Bamiyang. Maybe need to bring back... Uh, Someone back from loan as well, maybe a Torreira or, dare I say it, Matteo Guendouzi. Um, I think we need a bit more fight in there again because clearly um, this new leadership team isn't hacking it. So, yeah, I'll throw it back to you. What's your view on, on the Arsenal mess and, uh, and, the, and the Spurs, uh, you know, um, turning it around trophy? <laughs> well, all of that was music to my ears. I mean, I'm not really that surprised to be honest with you because I always thought the so-called Arsenal resurgence was being a bit overblown I remember when you beat us 3-0 and everyone was going on about how good Arsenal looks but for me it was more a case of us being terrible and obviously with what happened under Nuno I think it's it's been proven that that was the case and I think you know you got some decent results but yeah I think winning away at Leicester at the time seemed like that was a big scalp but with Leicester's struggles this season that result looks a lot less impressive now um, and I think, as, as has been the case with Arsenal over the past few seasons under Arteta, uh, you all got carried away after a few wins that probably should have been expected. And in the moment you came up against a real challenge in, in, in case of Liverpool or United or even Everton, as you said, under those circumstances, uh, you folded again. And, you, and I, I just don't see what the... It, it feels like with Arsenal and Arteta, we've, we've been having the same conversation for a few mm. years now where they keep on or he keeps on doing enough, just enough to make you and the club think that there's something worth persevering with here. But then every time it gets really tested, it all falls apart again. And I'm not sure kind of how much longer Arsenal can be happy accepting this sort of mediocrity, you know, it, it, particularly when you consider where Arsenal used to be when we both first started getting interested in football, they, they, you know, these sort of seasons, these sort of results wouldn't have been acceptable. And yes, obviously there was that FA Cup win, but I mean, how much longer can that be? You you know, that was in a behind closed door season against, you know, Frank Lampard's Chelsea, you know, how much longer can that be used as, as a, as a support for Arteta moving forwards? Um, you know, not everything will be his fault. Like you said, there's kind of a, a bit of a legacy there of Arsenal and players who maybe have outstayed their welcome. But then the recruitment surely has got to be called into question as well. A lot of your signings haven't worked out. William, you mentioned Thomas Partey as well. There was a lot of hype around him, but that hasn't really, really played out the way people expected. Uh, you know, Smith, Rowe and Saka, I like them, young, exciting. And, and I suppose it makes sense to put a team around them. But then on the flip side of that, with youth will come in experience and probably a learning curve. And, make it harder to to bridge that gap I kind of feel like you're maybe where we were in the early days of Pochettino but without a Pochettino figure and I know you'll say Arteta won one more than Pochettino but I, I kind of feel like you maybe need that 
really transformational manager to drag you back up to that level you were and I'm not quite sure that Arteta is that and I just wonder yeah how much longer you know what what how much more do you need to see of Arteta for for things to be different because if the the way the club operates isn't going to change the way you recruit the money you spend etc isn't going to change then you really are relying on a real golden generation coming through the youth academy which maybe it is or your manager really kind of proving his worth and proving that he's worth the hype but that FA Cup aside I'm I'm not entirely sure that he is um I get it because you know from the outside looking in if I looked at any other club a bit like Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and he did better really in terms of league performances being the Champions League you'd say come on now like get him out what's the problem I think the board have invested in almost the project youth strategy goes to the to the to the manager as well. And some I was listening to Ask Blog earlier and they were talking about the board when I hired Prim probably said, This is the guy in five years. So we're gonna give him that time to grow. Because it's it's not just the team growing, it's Arteta growing as well and making those mistakes. But I think because the power is with him now as manager of the club, that's when it becomes a problem for me. And we know there was that promotion after the FA Cup win, which he negotiated, which he should really still be the coach with the director of football, really kind of taking the reins. And, and you know, someone like a Ranić who, you know, has managed and could say, mm, you know what, that was a mistake. He needs a mentor. He would always, that's why Pep was so good with him, I suppose, um, because he was able to um, let him go, do his thing, but rein him back in. But obviously, sometimes you need to take that step up. But do you take that step up at Arsenal or do you take it at a lower league team or somewhere that isn't as much jeopardy? Um, This is the massive problem for me, is that I think but but for him, it's a massive risk as well. Because if it doesn't go well here or if it all ends in tears, what is next for Arteta? Maybe a stint at Everton as (laughs) an ex-Everton legend or Rangers? I mean, what, what is it for him? Or one of his teams in Spain. What, what, you know, I can't see anyone in the league say, oh, you know what, that Arteta has style, really has style. A lot of managers have won the FA Cup. And yeah, now it's starting to look like, not a fluke, because he did a very good job to get us there, but, you know, a bit of a flash in the pan circumstances aligning. And uh, it's just, you know, a real football manager like a Graham Potter you know, they've done it over seasons and it's a trend. You say, Brighton, this is how they try and play. This is the identity and this is how it ended up. With Arteta, one season you've got an FA Cup, but a average-ish performance in the league. Then you've got a rubbish season. Now you've got something in between. Um, I, d- I don't know. I, 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 think, I think they've gone very far, the board, in clarifying, right, we've decided to go Project Youth with the playing staff, and that's fine. But now they need to go as far and explain what is the strategy with the manager. They almost need to, you know, they're saying he's safe, but where's the jeopardy? In this football industry, isn't that the point where there is that jeopardy, where, where it makes you up your game? Um, I don't know. Do you know any, of any managers who have, who have really grown into a job? I mean, maybe Potter's a good example. Like, maybe Pochettino's well, a very good example, really. 
Pochettino. And I mean, the the classic case that that people at Man United used to persevere with Solskjaer was Alex Ferguson. I mean, sure. there, there was a point where people were calling for him to get the sack. And I can't remember how many seasons it was until he finally won something with Man United. But but, you know, people like Ferguson and even, you know, Wenger as well at the beginning, they're, yeah. they're exceptions rather than the norm. But 1990s, um, you know, things have changed. World. It's a quick, quick market. And I, I don't know anywhere else that, and, and maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe we want to do things right. We don't want to be a sacking club. We never were. So why don't we, why don't we try and get, get this back? But how long until it doesn't become, oh, it's a phase with Arteta and it becomes, it's Arsenal Arteta. And they're a mid-table club, and they are a fallen giant, and they're a Leeds, Nottingham Forest thing. Honestly, I, I think it's getting to that stage where. Well, I, I, I mean, I'd argue it already, it already is at that stage to an extent. The fact that you have had your first season with no European football for yeah. twenty-five yeah. odd years, you've had two what eighth, seventh, ninth—I don't even know—place finishes. Can mm. um, you know from where you were to, to this? It is a uh, is a bit a big drop off. And every year that it happens. It's, a, it's another year out of there. And, you know, you start, your Aubameyangs and your Lacazette start playing badly. You're losing big names until, you know, the, the best players you're, you're attracting are, are, are your granite shackers at this stage. Your Lichsteiners, your Socrateses, um, your Elnenes. And that's, that's when you start going into a death spiral as a club. I, the only thing helping us is money, but I think that's not as much a draw as everyone thinks anymore because everyone has money. Everyone is capable pretty much of spending a 30 million on a player that that's enough. Still, if you have clever scouting, you look at some of the boys Leicester have signed in the past years, um, that can be enough and Spurs, you know, the way Spurs have done it. So it's, and Liverpool, probably the best example, you know, Salah, Mane and Henderson combined probably barely cost a, a penny and uh, they made the money from Van, for Van Dijk and uh, Alisson from Coutinho. So they were just clever with their spending. So yeah, it's very, it's very worrying that we do become like that. And I can't, I never thought I could see a day, but maybe times are changing. But I kind of, I almost feel like, well, how come United and Liverpool managed to do it? Chelsea and City is obvious and there's no credit in that, let's be honest. Um, but how have they kept it up? Why are we the ones left behind? Um, it's be- you know, you think back in 2004, why on earth are Arsenal the ones now in the position we are? Because we were the first to move on a stadium? Was that a bad decision? I don't know. I mean, there are so many factors. And again, maybe I'm going too big and analytical and philosophical on it. But it's, I think now it's a pattern of, as you said, we've been talking about this for years. We've been talking about it for years since he came in. Arteta in, out, in, out, shake it all about. And Unai, the Unai Emery era was just, Again, it was a short-termism. It was the David Moyes move for Arsenal to kind of a quick fix back back to undo the damage that Wenger had done. It did more damage, and we haven't recovered since. So maybe the real mistake is uh, not having a plan, moving on Arsene in a proper way rather than the last couple of months of the season, and bringing Arteta in then if we really believed there was a strategy um, and we were nearby. Um I want to talk about Spurs. I want you to talk about Spurs because I, I think it would be more enjoyable, honestly, at this well, rate. Speaking of Spurs, I actually have some breaking news. Oh! Um, as we're recording, I've just seen a club statement from Tottenham Hotspur confirming that we're recording this on a, on a Wednesday evening, and this statement is confirming that tomorrow night's uh, Europa huh. Conference game against Wren will not take place. 
Wow. Um, and the, I think the, they've said that the first team, what is it? It says here, uh, the first team area of the training center has also been closed. Um, so obviously, yeah, a number of COVID cases at Spurs. I think as we're recording, eight players and five members of the coaching staff. Uh, tomorrow night's match off probably means Sunday's game against Brighton will definitely be off, and who knows, maybe even the game against Leicester uh, next week as well. Well, all that uh, momentum, it could be a bad thing. And then well, you've got players recovering from COVID if it's the uh, big senior players. I mean, it, it's a terrible thing, whichever way you, you slice it. Yeah, obviously, it's a terrible human, human thing as well. Yeah, and, and Christmas time. I mean, we saw with um, Kai Havertz last season, I think Lampard did an interview with Gary Neville recently where he talked about how much having COVID affected Havertz last season. You know, we think these guys, because they're young, healthy athletes, that it shouldn't affect them too much. But actually, there have been reports of players who have really struggled to regain fitness after having had COVID. Um, and obviously, they won't be playing, they won't be training, uh, which will disrupt their rhythms and their their routine. Lots of games to then have to try and rearrange in the season, which isn't easy to do with all the international breaks and tournaments there are. You know, there's not a lot of space in the calendar. So, yeah, whichever way you want to look at it, not a very good situation for Spurs, which is, um, I mean, a shame anyway with, with COVID. But, you know, looking at it just from the football perspective, like you said, it, it halts what was some positive momentum that we've been starting to build under under Conte. Because, yeah, last time we spoke, I think he was on the verge of being appointed or it, or it had just been announced. Um, and I suppose I was, maybe... I was, hope, I was hoping, by the way, that you were saying uh, club statement, Conte resigns. <laughs> well... I mean, that'll probably be this time next year um, or maybe after the January transfer window when uh, we we sign nobody. Um, but no, I mean, with Conte, I suppose the way of looking at it so far, I guess, is to to look at the Premier League and the Conference League separately, because I'm sure you're going to want to talk about that NS Mura game. Um, I'm sure I won't be able to get away with <laughs> not mentioning that. Um, but looking at it in the Premier League, I mean, so far so good in the sense that it's what 10 points out of a possible 12 we drew away at Everton nil nil in his first league game which at the time I must admit was a little bit disappointing uh, but in retrospect maybe not such a bad result when we see what happened uh, to Arsenal the other night at Everton and then the three home games Leeds Brentford Norwich you would say on paper those are three games that you should be winning anyway but how many times with Spurs have we said oh these get next few games on paper, we have to win them all. We should win them all. And then we we mess one of them up. The fact that we we won all three of them, uh, got the nine points. You know, you might like I said, you might say bare minimum, but but we've messed it up in the past. And it's put us in a in a good position in the league where we're above Arsenal, above United, two points off top four with a game in hand. We'll probably now have two or three games in hand. Um, so we'll have a lot of ground to make up, actually. But you know, it's it's got us right back in the mix when it, it looked like we were drifting towards mid-table under Nuno. The one thing I would say is that I think that the performances haven't been uh, sparkling. The results have been good, but I think the performances have been a bit up and down. The Leeds game, the first half, was as bad as anything I saw under Nuno. And that was a Leeds team who had no Rafinha, no Bamford. It was a weakened Leeds team. And they were playing us off the park in that first half. And if they had had Ramford, uh, Ramford, Rafinha and Ramford. Ramford playing, now, now known as Ramford. <laughs> They'll love that, the Leeds fans. Yeah. Ramford. If Ramford had been playing, then I think... Marcus Ramford. Marcus Ramford. If they had been playing, I think we would have been two or three down. But in the second half is when we saw, I think, the Conte bounce really start to, to take effect. And we turned it around brilliantly to win. 
Brentford, you know, they're a team who who have been playing well this season. I was a bit disappointed by them, actually. I was kind of expecting a bit more of a, a challenge from them. We won that one quite comfortably. And then Norwich, again, pretty comfortable 3-0. But Norwich had a few chances at 0-0 and even when we were 1-0 up to equalise where the, the, the game could have been very different. So uh, you can definitely see that we're a work in progress. You can see with the new kind of three at the back formation that the players are kind of getting to grips with, with a new way of, of playing and that might take time to come to fruition, maybe even more now that they'll probably have less uh, training time and, and more matches kind of squeezed together. Um, but I definitely think Conte's, you can see the energy obviously on the touchline that he's famous for. He's definitely galvanised the club, the fans, the players seem to be responding to him. I definitely think that, uh, that the squad needs some major surgery in order to to play the kind of football he wants them to play. At times, it's a bit like uh, one of my favourite Spurs podcasts, listen to The Extra Inch, one of the contributors on, on there compared it to the early weeks of Strictly Come Dancing, where the celebrity is kind of being dragged around the floor by their professional a bit. Uh, but then it, after a few weeks that, you you know, they're starting to lead and, and they're, you know, pulling off the moves. It's kind of a bit like that. We're a work in progress, but we're getting the results. We're winning the matches. We're getting over the line and we're, or we were building some positive momentum. So that sounds awesome. like the Italian Arteta, though, just getting results and no performances. Well, well, I, I think, OK, so performances have been have been proving. So 2-1 against Leeds. 2-0 Brentford, 3-0 Norwich. So we, we won a game by one goal, a game by two goals, a game by uh, by three goals. The football has been improving um, and it has been more attacking. You know, it hasn't just been kind of defence and counter like under Mourinho and under Nuno a bit. And I think there has been some great flourishes. And actually, one one thing that is, is quite notable is that we've done all of this, basically, I'm going to say, without Harry Kane. I mean, we're, we're approaching mid-December. He scored one Premier League goal. And usually when Kane isn't at it, Spurs aren't at it. You know, we've been so reliant on him over the past few years. And yet now other players are stepping up with goals. And it seems like it's much more of a team effort now under Conte than maybe it was under Nuno and certainly under Mourinho, where basically if Kane and Son wasn't there, forget about it. But it seems to be, you know, other players are stepping in and and contributing the goals, which is what we're going to need while we're (laughs) carrying basically Harry Kane, but it makes you think, you know, what if the second half of the season, Kane does click back into gear, plays the, the way we know he's capable of, you know, it'd almost be like that that old cliche of it being like a new signing. Um, and if Conte is able to get him firing whilst also improving the rest of the team, then there's no reason why we can't push for the top four now. I mean, it's, it's wide open. Uh, United probably, like you said, with the quality they've got, I think they've got a really nice run of fixtures as well between now and March, basically. Sure. I mean, Rangnick in as well. They'll probably get in that top four. And we know Liverpool, City and Chelsea will be there. So we're all basically fighting over one spot. It's probably Man United's. But I think under Conte and with the improvements we've made after a few weeks, if we continue in that vein, I think there's no reason why it can't be between us and United and I suppose West Ham at this moment for that full spot. I'm not even thinking about Arsenal. Not I was going to say, don't even hear Arsenal in there. Wolverhampton Wanderers? Well, maybe. I mean, Bruno uh, Bruno's the new Nuno. I mean, he seems to be doing a great job there. So who knows? Maybe now Everton have turned the corner. Maybe they'll be resurgent. Uh, you know, Leicester could, I suppose, sort their act out. Maybe Aston Villa under Gerrard. He's had a, a good impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting, though, because, you know, you're talking about this moment, positive momentum again. And, and it's, this has really disrupted that for Spurs. I mean, you, you could, you know, the next couple of, the next month, 
could decimate Spurs' chances because of a, a, of the virus, because of a freak, you know, unluckiness to, to for one of your boys to pick it up and, and spread it. I mean, it's it's unbelievable how we're still talking about this two seasons later that it complete it could completely derail everything again um, for Spurs, and that'll be you know. It, these are exceptional circumstances, but will it be another, oh, that season where we had this, you know, you know, that was the season where Kane got injured and that was the season we had a transition manager and that's the season, you know, is it, will it be a, I guess it will be another excuse, but at least it's a, it's a real reason. Um, a tough one for Spurs. Yeah, it definitely does seem, uh, to use that horrible word, Spursy, that just as we've turned a corner, with our new manager that, yeah, now it's been completely thrown into disarray. But, you know, we might not be the only ones. I mean, there's been reports of, of players testing positive at other clubs. I mean, we, we could be heading for a, a winter shutdown potentially in, in, in the Premier League if uh, huh. they don't get a lid on this soon. It could completely throw the fixtures, uh, you know, completely up the wall. So I guess know, we'll have to wait and see what, what happens next. You know what's kind of that's um, made me think about, actually, um, that shutdown comment is is the fact that uh, it's kind of convoluted, this, this explanation, but the fact that during the weeks without European football, Arteta has had a lot of time, you get what I mean, as in like without being in the football world. He's had them shut down in the training ground, being able to train the team. So what is he doing if he's not improving the team? That's why, you know, if we had a lockdown for December, I wouldn't trust us to come back better and fresher. We look more unmotivated without European football. We look exhausted. It's almost like um, I bring one of my psychological theories out about about the uh, the inverted U of um, of burnout, and that on the other side you have you have rust out, and maybe the players just don't have enough momentum and excitement going on in in an ambition um, to get on board every day. It feels a bit like that. There's there's just not enough you know stress in the system and adrenaline to get them uh, to get them fighting for something. It's it's interesting that point because obviously yeah the this season a lot was made of Arsenal's not having European football potentially being an, adv- an advantage and one comparison a lot of people used was Antonio Conte's Chelsea team who won the league a, a season when they didn't have European football and it's funny because a lot of Spurs fans myself included were hoping that we would go out of the Conference League tomorrow night <laughs> so that Conte would have more time on the training ground with the team to train them because we know how good he is on the training ground and we've seen what he's done in previous seasons when he's not had European football and the results he's got. I don't think anybody was suggesting for one minute that Spurs would win the league if we were out of the Conference League, but definitely that it could give us an advantage in the race for the top four. And maybe it is, like you said, maybe actually players do need regular matches, but maybe this once again comes down to the managers and the difference Mm -hmm. between the quality of the managers. Because yeah, Arteta this season has had all that time on the training ground and yet it doesn't seem like enough improvements have been made. Whereas you can guarantee that if Conte had had that same time on the training ground, he, he would have been getting results. I mean, he's, he's proven that under, you know, slightly different but similar circumstances in the past. So I think that that, that also comes back again to, to the quality of manager. The fact that you have had that time on the training ground, but aren't seeing the benefit of it. Whilst at the same time, we're, we're hoping to get that time because we've seen what our manager has done with, with that opportunity beforehand. Mm. And I suppose these football clubs, you know, at the end of the day, they're built on individual people, on individual players upping their game for a collective purpose as well. And I, I suppose on a Spurs perspective, and it's my favourite topic, but if Harry Kane isn't really pulling his weight, which it sounds like he really isn't in terms of at least contribution, 
you know, can you take that extra mile? And, and you know, we're getting to that stage now. It's not even uh, too far away. Is he sellable in January? Um, not in January, but, but maybe this, in the summer, maybe there's a conversation to be had, particularly if he doesn't sign a contract extension, because then there'll be one year less on the contract. And it'll be coming up to the to, to the point where with players you start to think, okay, well, what are we doing here? Are we renewing or, or are we selling? And I think definitely we need to sign another striker, regardless of whether Kane stays or goes, um, because you know you, you've got to start preparing for life without him. And, and you know it, it's not sustainable anyway. I know I said other players are stepping up with the goals, but it's not right that basically we're in a position where Conte said the other week that he can't imagine picking a team without Harry Kane in it. Which, like I said, when you consider his goal record this season, if that was any other striker, any other name with that record with these performances, they would have been dropped immediately or subbed for someone else. Mm. But we we almost don't have the power to do that because we don't have the strength and depth. So even if Kane stays, I think we need to sign a striker. But we even need to be thinking about succession planning and, and who you replace him with. And, and we've been linked to um, Vlavic a lot from Fiorentina. Um, and I mean, certainly if if a big bid did come in for Harry Kane again next summer maybe the club would be more open to it if we were able to get a replacement in and use that money to, to reinvest in the squad. But I think, you know, Harry Kane time and time again has proven that the doubt is wrong. He was meant to be a one season wonder. And there was always something that was brought up by people to kind of discredit his achievements. And he's always kind of risen to the plate. So I'm sure he will start scoring goals again. And I think with Harry Kane, even when he's not scoring goals, he does contribute more to the overall play than your your average striker does. But certainly what I think has been interesting this season is that Spurs fans are, are nowhere near as um, kind of reverential towards Harry Kane as they used to be. You know, it used to be that he could kind of do no wrong on the pitch. You know, if he missed an easy chance, he wouldn't get the same, you wouldn't hear the same groans in the stadium as you would for other players in that same situation. But I've definitely noticed now fans are getting on Kane's back a lot more he's being treated a lot more like any other player by the fans at least but maybe not by the club because they can't afford to it in time but like I said that calculation maybe it does change next summer if we are able to buy another striker and if he doesn't sign that contract and if that bid does come through but I mean those are three pretty big ifs so who knows and it can happen I suppose after these players they're not they're not young players anymore they're not young talent golden boys at the peak of their careers they're on the downslope, and it's the same with Aubameyang. You know, the, the the golden halo goes after a while. You know, a couple of years ago, could you imagine us sitting here saying that we want Aubameyang and Kane out of our club? <laughs> they were they were our talisman, and now it's Hungman Son and Emil Smith Rowe. Hungman Son, you can kind of see, but what a downfall for us to not have not have a star player. And I suppose that's what I've said with Spurs all along, especially with Conte. That move for you probably next summer at this rate is big, 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 big name uh, to take you to the next level. And if Kane goes, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you'd be looking at, a, I'm not sure quite who's out there yet, um, but I'm sure you'd be looking at a big name striker. But, uh, you know, as Wenger used to say, the, the um, it's, uh, you can look for internal solutions first. It's not all about the transfer market. And, and looking from the outside in, I'm not quite sure what Spurs have Apart from that first eleven, you know, Bergwine doesn't seem to be doing much, really. You seem to be relying on Lucas Moura that I thought I thought was out the door. Ali seems to be finished. Dane Scarlett doesn't even seem to be given a given a shoe in yet. I mean, at least you brought in Tanganga, but 
I don't know, outside that starting eleven, is that if if you know if this COVID outbreak is is going to realistically, if it is affected, I mean we can't speculate really, but if it's affected half your first team, can't expect them back to to good um, necessarily for 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 a month. So who do you have to fall back on? Well, and speaking of strength and depth, I hate to be the one to bring it up myself, but that NS Mura game I think showed hmm. how poor the the squad is i mean conte rest i mean the thing is he 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 rested a few players but it was still a reasonably strong team i mean kane was playing and dombele delhi uh doherty you know it, it was a big chance for for those second string players to prove themselves and and to to take a claim for a place in the first team and, and it, it was a stark illustration of just how poor the quality is in the first squad that you can't even afford to rest your players against a, a, a team of that standing and still get a result. And I think that was a real eye-opener for Conte. The things he said afterwards, um, I think, made it clear to him that he knew now. He even said, you know, I understand the situation now that the level at Tottenham isn't very high, which is, <laughs> is damning, you know, from a new manager. But I think a lot of fans were thinking, finally, you know, a manager who's coming out and saying it, you know, this squad, you scratch beneath the surface and this squad isn't good enough. And it was a pattern that we've seen time and time again in Europa League and, and Europa Conference League matches where the second string goes out and they don't turn up. And I mean, Hugo Lloris last season, you know, after the Zagreb game, the second leg where we threw it away and Hugo Lloris basically came out and said, you know, that the other players who aren't aren't playing aren't doing their bit. They're not acting professionally. They're kind of, you know, throwing a strop. And, and it seems like every player in the squad has this attitude of thinking that they should be in the first team. But when they get out there, acting like they're above whatever match it is they're, they're playing in. I was actually thinking about it that Mura game, and I don't think it's too over the top to say it was one of the worst results in Spurs history. Not in terms of the scoreline, obviously, it was only 2-1, but in terms of the calibre of the opposition and the tournament. You know, this was a club that was founded in 2012 that hadn't, I think, won in six matches in the build-up to that game, hadn't got any point at all, you know, not even a draw in the group. Um, we're closer to the relegation zone in the Slovenian league than the top. It's not like they were Slovenian champions. You know, it's a mid-table Slovenian team. And like I said, we put out, yeah, second string, but still experienced internationals and players who you'd, you know, and Dombele, our record signing, players who you think should be wanting to make a good impression. I think it was only Conte's third or fourth match in charge. And that was the kind of performance they they put out. And I think for me and a lot of other fans, that was a turning point as far as some of those fringe players are concerned. Uh, you know, for me, it doesn't matter how well players like Sanchez or Doherty or Ndombele or, or Delhi play in individual matches. I do not trust them anymore and would like to see them leave because time and time again, they've disappointed and they haven't turned up and they, they don't have the consistency. You know, Norwich, um, Davison Sanchez played, scored, got a clean sheet. Doherty came on, played well. Sessegnon came on, played well. Obviously, he was uh, sent off uh, against uh, Moura. And it would have been easy for me to go, oh, well, they've redeemed themselves. But we need to stop giving players second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chances. You know, other clubs, they, they're they more ruthless. You know, you can't imagine, you know, some of the players, and I think this applies for both Spurs and Arsenal, given what you were saying earlier. It seems like at our club's players get a million chances, whereas at other, other clubs, OK, admittedly, Chelsea and City can afford to do this. But nevertheless, if there's a, if there's a weakness... They're ruthless. They upgrade. They improve. You know, if Loris Karius had been at Arsenal or Spurs after that Champions League final, he probably would have still still been the starting goalkeeper the next season. You know, uh, Chelsea signed Werner for big money 
but they still go out and sign Lukaku the next season. Okay, yeah, we can't afford to do that. But nevertheless, there are players at Spurs who have been there for like seven years now almost who haven't improved. If anything, they've got worse. You know, they came in as substitute players and it's not like they've won a place in the team. They just happened to get it because a player who was better than them got sold. And and they're still there and, and they're not improving. And I think hopefully with Conte coming in and calling it out, finally things might start to change and we might start to be a little bit more ruthless with the, the squad and actually get uh, more strength and depth and have a bench that you can look at and think, yeah, they can come on and make a difference and actually be able to rest players and still win games rather than constantly having to sub on Son and sub on Kane and sub on Hoiberg or whoever to save the day because once again your reserve team haven't stepped up to the plate and yeah mm-hmm. if that's a situation we're going to be left in potentially for arguably the busiest time of the season the most important time of the season heading into the new year having to rely on fringe players that's worrying considering what they've done when they've been called upon in the past mm-hmm. It's true. And interestingly, because you kind of need to be bringing these homegrown players through now, because I I don't, no one really knows what's going on, but there has been an increase in kind of a potential quota being brought in or something, because you can see some of the top clubs are really building a core around around the homegrown players again. And and for Spurs, you know, I guess Tanganga probably counts, Dyer probably counts, but there there doesn't seem to be be much going on. you know, you'll be lifted in a, in a case of having to to quickly get rid of players um, for under their value or trying to really promote these young players. And I don't know, from the outside looking in, it looks like Conte is a bit of a, a Jose in the sense that I can't remember a case where he, you know, he'll nurture a Dane Scarlet and say, you know what, give you a try and, and get you uh, competing. Well, the, the, the one, um, I suppose, counter to that at the moment is Oliver Skip, True. who has been one of our best players. And in fact, against Norwich, he he was, I'd say, man of the match. And Conte has been raving about him. Um, he has spoken quite positively about Ryan Sessegnon as well. And I think I, I was blasting all the, all the players against Mura. Sessegnon, this might sound strange, given he's the one who got sent off. But he is the one person I will forgive in the sense that there is that youth and experience. And he basically hadn't played a competitive match for years. It felt like he'd been out injured for so long. And when he came on against uh, Norwich, he did play well. Uh, Tanganga... Obviously, he had that incredible performance against Man City. He, he's one I do worry about. Um, and I would worry about players like Joe Roden as well. You know, mm. if neither of them can start over Davinson Sanchez when he put in a performance like that in the Conference League, then I'd really, you know, worry if I were them. But certainly, yeah, Skip, Skip is the big exception to that. And he does seem to be, have become our best midfield player now. I think most Spurs fans now would have Skip in the team over the likes of Hoiberg. And and wow. Celso, which is really saying something, but is a testament to, to his performances. He's been all over the place, putting in tackles, but also creating chances as well. Um, and he's, he, you know, week by week, he's been growing in confidence. Um, and so that could be, I think, um, I think Mourinho actually, funnily enough, said that he thought Skip could be a future Spurs captain. Um, and Conte really seems to have taken to him. So, so Skip could be the the one young player at Spurs who who really breaks through and potentially benefits from Conte. I think Conte after the, I can't remember if it was after Brentford or after Norwich, where he was talking about Skip and how how much he thought he could develop Skip. Um, Mm. So that could be one to keep an eye on. Skip for Skipper. Skip for Skipper. It's interesting because it's almost like the glamour of the name. You know, if his name was Skipinho, everyone (laughs) might be saying, wow, look at Skipinho. But whereas from the outside view, I just think of him as Winks 2.0. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting, actually, because there's a clip from, uh, I don't know what it was from. I guess it must have been some documentary where they were following like a Dutch youth team. It's from a, a Dutch TV program where I think the Dutch under 19s or whatever had just played against the England under 19s uh, or under 23s. And you can see them all talking in the dressing room afterwards. And they were all talking about Oliver Skip and about how annoying he was to play against. And one of them compared him to Frankie de Jong, who obviously went from Ajax to Barcelona. And they said, oh, they, he, they, he reminded him of them, which is interesting because, yeah, like you said, you know, we maybe look at foreign players and see them as kind of maybe better than some of our homegrown players because, mm. there's you know, it's kind of exciting and exotic. But mm. to kind of see that perspective, you know, from abroad of, of a young English player and to see them speaking about him so highly, you know, you were saying maybe someone like Conte wouldn't bring through the English players, but maybe in a strange way, he and kind of other foreign managers can see English players with, you know, a, a better perspective than, than we can of our own players. Because, yeah, we kind of, you know, there's the allure of the the new and exciting you know, players coming from abroad. But maybe actually Conte would be far better for Skip's development than an English manager might have been. Yeah. And, and it could be the new, you know, the development of English players is changing now based on the generation, you know, the success that we're having as well. And, you know, you've got trailblazers like uh, like Jude Bellingham really flying the flag for England and and, and taking it up a notch in, in, in exotic locations, as it were. And you even look at these players, these Smith Rose, these Sackers, they don't play like the traditional English way that we grew up with. You know, there, there's flair that I don't think, I don't think we ever had past, uh, before 2016. I mean, I can't remember knowing about an English playmaker. I mean, you know, you could argue, you know, Michael Owen used to do that with a bit of dribbling, but no one, you know, they were, we never had a creative, flary number 10s with England, or am I forgetting people? Well, I suppose we we did, but I guess they were they were more the exception rather than the norm. You know, there'd be kind of like a once in a generation, you'd have a Gascoigne or you'd have a Becker. True. But I think, I, I guess the difference now is, yeah, the, the number of, of those type of players there are, um, maybe more so than were before. And I guess before as well, England, it was always a struggle maybe to fit them in. You know, you wouldn't get, you know, Joe Cole mate, or players like that. Even skulls would be kind of played out of position and you felt like there wasn't maybe necessarily the structure around them to allow them to fully express themselves. Whereas, yeah, now, I mean, some people might argue Southgate's England, there's still maybe some of that issue. But now you've got Grealish and Foden and, yeah, Smith-Rowe and Madison and Bellingham. Yeah. You know, just the number of them whereas yeah maybe in a previous generation you would have had just a Grealish and, and that was it and the rest of them would have been more um of a I don't know Oliver Skip type not you know not to disparage Oliver Skip because you need those type of players as well um but yeah and you know I suppose it's a product of the influence that, that foreign managers have had in the Premier League you know you look at the quality of the managers now with with Rangnick here with Guardiola with Tuchel with Klopp with Conte um notice i i didn't mention arteta there i um, understand i get you know, it i'm i i'm players will be learning from that so but it's it, it's interesting isn't it this kind of this trend towards these these ex-players i feel like we used to have it occasionally with the smaller clubs but it seems like the bigger clubs are getting on board you know albeit it's kind of changed with united and chelsea recently but you know there was a point where you had ollie frank lampard um arteta you almost had Steven Gerrard overlapping with them as well. I mean, I wonder why this trend is happening. Do you think, do you think, and I think it's happening with sports broadcasting as well, that you're starting to go back to the people that have been there, done that, to have the authority and the credibility 
to be within the game. I think it's I think it's changed again. Before I thought, you know, you know, if you if you educate enough and you know you have people like, you know, Jose who didn't really play to a top level, he still played. Um, but you know, even Conte, you know, he was a great player. Um Pep obviously we know we know how good he was as well. Um Randick seems temporary, so it'll probably be Pochettino. We know we know about him as well. So it's interesting. It's interesting this trend. Do you think it's it's something different in the water now, or is it something that's always been around and I haven't been aware of it because it's now our generation, I suppose. The players we watched are now the managers. Yeah, I think maybe it's partly that, but also maybe it's as well. These players um, maybe a little bit more. I don't know. It sounds harsh on on previous generations to say that that these players are more intelligent, but maybe there's there's more awareness, I guess, of football tactics perhaps and more discussion of it so maybe they're a little bit more football educated than than other former players were and so mm. they, they they're able to take to management more easily because yeah it used to be the same that the better a player you were the worse a manager you'd be yeah um that you but now you know Zidane as well as another one who at Real Madrid you know won all those Champions Leagues as both a player and a manager so mm. maybe it is a case of the players being a little bit uh, more educated and having played under those great managers that you mentioned and learned from them and I also wonder whether it's a it's a branding thing as well. Clubs want young, mm. photogenic managers who are connected to the club to kind of get that engagement on social media to yes. get the fans on board. I think I think that plays a part as well. You know, see at Barcelona with with Xavi, I, I think clubs want the the feel good vibes that come from having one of your own <laughs> in the dugout, yeah. and and a manager who looks looks good in a suit looks good on the touchline. I think that's becoming increasingly important to clubs as well, the, the style as well as the substance. That's interesting you say that because there's been, you know, there was an F, F2 freestyler video with Arteta and it was all scripted, but, you know, someone was saying they've really done a number on his PR to try and get him looking cool, down with the kids, you know, really youthful and thing. Whereas, you know, last year, this guy was personally lobbying for Willian to be, <laughs> and to be a saviour and still kept Kalasnach in the joint. I wonder, well, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, man, I mean, managers are as much an, an attraction as a team now. Like Spurs social media do this thing. They started it with Jose, and now they're continuing it with Conte. They're calling it Conte Cam. Yeah. And after each match, they release a highlights reel just of Conte on the touchline reacting to the match and, you know, him barking out his instructions. And people love it. They lap it up. They watch, you know, the managers are as much of a, the box office now as, as the yeah. players. You know, you go to the stadium, you see people watching Conte running up and down the touchline as, as much as they're watching the, the players on the pitch. It's true. When we grew up, you kind of thought, oh, I want to be that Beckham stepping up over the over the free kick and scoring and imitating on the playground. Now you kind of have this inner buzz of, oh, I'd quite like to be that manager controlling things and, uh, you know, being that cool young guy, um, being able to, to run the show. And yeah, you're right. I think I've seen something similar with Arsenal. They've done some sort of Mikel Cam thing. Um, there's, there's clearly demand and appetite for it. And you know, with the with the all or nothing series, you can see there's there's more interest in behind the scenes. So it's becoming a bit show busy, and in a way, it's in a way it's reality TV. It's like the Kardashians. <laughs> Football, the Premier League is is uh, you know is is a Hollywood TV series on Amazon. It's a, it's a program. It's part of their content. So the the only way is Essex. The only the only way is Arsenal. <laughs> Anyway, is Arsenal. Oh, that would be a lovely joy watching All or Nothing, uh, whatever it is, next winter. Um, I mean, at this rate, it'll it be the out. most boring, boring series of the show ever. Just 
a season of mid-table nothingness. I don't know what well, the, where the drama you'll, will come from. You'll, you'll have the, the upset at the start of the season of the, the COVID outbreak and the disastrous starts and the Mikel outs. And then you'll have the highs of the one good victory this season against Spurs. Then you'll have uh, Shaka, you know, doing Shakaness. Uh, Yang um, getting angry for, for not playing. I think there might be some things behind the scenes that they'll be able to uh, conjure up. So uh, I, I, I wonder where I always wondered whether they would, as part of the season, the club would think, mm, let's get something exciting here and go and sign someone a real character or or bring in a new manager or do something because um, they're going to need to. Otherwise, yeah, you're right. Apart from a couple of things, they might, they might, uh, you might end up being uh, watching a, a season of filler episodes. Watch. Uh, try and think what what those filler episodes would look like. Yeah, yeah. Arteta putting out the cones. <laughs> Definitely good. It's interesting you said before about. Uh, who the successor to Caden is, and I was going to say Kendall Roy, but uh, I think not many of our listeners would get that one just yet. Um, 